Hello and welcome to the Holistic Fitness Podcast, where you'll learn to get your goals without burning out. I'm your host, Lori, and this show isn't just about movement or nutrition. You probably already know that exercise and nutrition is important for your mental and physical health and well-being. It's also about stress management, mindset, shedding those limiting beliefs, and working through some of that childhood trauma while you're at it. Today, I'm joined by Mia Zambarano. Mia is an award-winning, licensed mental health therapist who has committed her life's work to supporting people experiencing intense pressure and high expectations to overcome anxiety and optimize their performance. As a former Division I college athlete, entrepreneur, and full-time mother, she is no stranger to navigating pressure and has made it her mission to help other high achievers do the same. After nearly a decade in the mental health world, she saw that there was a number of unmet needs in the field for people who want to achieve more, but didn't warrant a clinical diagnosis. Mia realized that for people who ask for more of themselves and want to perform at the highest levels, often receive the least amount of mentality and performance support, even though they could benefit the most from it. Today, Mia combines her passion for deep inner work with intentional action to support high-achieving athletes, business professionals, entrepreneurs, and anyone who wants to enhance their mentality and optimize their performance through her scientifically-backed signature power performance system. She truly is an expert in her trade, and we spoke about how athletes leverage high-performance habits, how to get more out of your day by optimizing your executive functions, and how to get your goals sustainably. What was actually quite hilarious in this podcast is that it's the first guest that I actually just completely lost my words with. I had the biggest brain fart and ironically, it was just after Mia was talking about things that we can do to increase our cognition and executive function. And at the time she was explaining it, I was thinking, oh my goodness, I have done literally none of this today. (laughs) So personally, this is a very relatable conversation with loads of tips that I took away and I cannot wait to share it with you all. Welcome to the podcast, Mia. How are you going this evening? I'm doing well, Lori. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to have you on the podcast. Just seeing that you're a licensed mental health therapist, I was like, ooh, this person has (laughs) so much wisdom. And now you've turned into, you know, performance consultant for athletes and stuff like that. It's crazy. I feel like people who kind of get into this field there's a specific reason why. So can you tell me more about why you chose to move into therapy and what that journey looked like to what you're doing now? Yeah, I was one of those people that, I don't know if you want to call it lucking out, but I knew from pretty early on that I wanted to do it. I always had, I grew up on teams my whole life. So I was always part of a team Mm. setting. I was helping other people. It's a very collaborative experience, right? So I think that was just within my nature to help and support other people. And, you know, they say be who you needed when you were younger. And I know I went through certain things that just like I didn't have a label for. So being able to have a concept and just understand it, wanting to give that back to other people. uh, It actually really kind of came to a peak when I was in high school. I took an elective, a psychology elective. And I just remember sitting there and being like, this makes so much sense. Like, why is this mm. not mandatory? Why, why is this not stuff that we learn in terms of like how our brain works? And just, you know, that's obviously such an important aspect of our entire functioning. So 
that happened and kind of finalized the decision to, when I went to Sacred Heart University, I was recruited for soccer, uh, but it was just a very easy decision. They had a fantastic psychology program. So I got my master's in psych and then actually went to Boston University after because at the time they didn't have my my master's program there oh. a while ago. <laughs> um, but it was it was a fantastic thing because I wouldn't trade it for the world. I went to Boston University for their uh, social work master's program. And it was just a fantastic experience. I lived in the middle of Boston. And that was where I started my practice as a therapist. And just through all those experiences, you're obligated to do continued education. And it just kind of really breathed its own life into the different settings I was in. And I was constantly getting asked this question, like, how are you doing this? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's a lot of assumption tied to, and it's a high burnout field, right? So Mm -hmm. I I got into a lot of creative outlets in terms of blogging about the experience of being a therapist, obviously, you know, without sharing the client experience, but just being able to kind of normalize what was so important about self-care and like how you show up as a therapist, how you take care of yourself and the mentality approach, um, Mm -hmm. because it could certainly be daunting. And again, through those years of continued education and learning these different modalities, and then obviously having the background as an athlete, as someone who's very competitive. I formulated this performance program because what I was realizing, uh, you know, with being involved in therapy, especially if you're going through insurance, you have to meet medical necessity, which basically Mm -hmm. means you can't be functioning in some kind of aspect of your life. You're so anxious that you're not showing up to things or it's it's impeding maybe how you work or how you communicate or your family life or whatever else, or you're so, you know, you're experiencing tremendous amounts of depression where you're not getting out of bed or you're not able to function, et cetera. So it has to impede in some kind of functioning to justify therapy. And Mm. I was just realizing like this information is so valuable that people who are highly competitive tend to get the least support around this stuff. And Mm. I just thought, I, I was just thinking, you know, the more that we give or we want to perform, the more we need to give back to ourselves. And I think that population is lacking at times, my perception, in in that kind of uh, knowledge base, which is a, a game changer. So that's where I came up with really streamlining this process of being a mental performance expert. And I really picked it up with athletes. I was just seeing way too much in the media about you know, these college athletes and even further on that were, you know, taking their lives or these tragedies. And it's Mm. just, you know, I think that when people are, you know, physically fit or they're this like idea of success, people think they're just impervious to everything else. And that's not, that's not the realities. We're all human at the end of the day. Yeah. Wow. What a beautiful journey. And I love that you have, you noticed that, Hey, you know, while it's important to help people that do have a specific need, because doctors said, I want to help these people and really blend the experience that I've mm-hmm. had from all of the fitness and all of the soccer, yes. you know, all of the college athletes and, and helping them out too. I'd love to know a little bit more about, you mentioned earlier that you, that you sometimes give the advice or do the thing that you most needed. Can you tell me more about what Mm. you most needed when you were learning psychology when you were younger? So it wasn't necessarily when I was learning psychology. I grew up in a very small town in the suburbs Mm -hmm. of New Jersey and just went through certain life, like personal life things. I, you know, wasn't the norm then. I, I mean, there was 36 kids in my entire grade from elementary through 
Wow. Uh, crazy. Through sixth grade. And it wasn't a private school. It was a public school. It's like my town was that small. Uh, wow. And we were all so close. I wouldn't trade. I had, I had a wonderful childhood, but you know, just parents going through divorce, like none of my other friends had divorced parents at that time. So, you know, I, again, I was, I was lucky to have a lot of love and support, but just things that I couldn't necessarily conceptualize. And, mm. you know, naturally I, I struggled with some kind of anxiety and I have no idea what it was. So <laughs> with my competitive nature, I ended up working for me. I ended up being a great student, but you know, <laughs> it feels very uncomfortable. So it was more of just as I moved through my life and again, started to learn some of these concepts, it just made so much sense. And it was also helpful, not just in a team setting, but in a life setting to be able to like not judge and just understand what someone else is going through and connect mm. with people that way. And I just really appreciated that. Yeah, that would have been really tough being from such a small town and having like going through an experience that no one else is going through. Yeah. Yeah. I was I, young. I was young, really young. For sure. Like when you grow up and get older, you realize and you work on things, hopefully you work yeah. on things. Um, but yeah, at the time, I can definitely see why that would be a trigger to kind of work on things. You said something that really piqued my interest that your anxiety mm. actually worked for you as an athlete. Can you tell me more about some common themes that you see in athletes when you're coaching? Oh, them? absolutely. Uh, self-criticism, comparison, you know, like it's funny because so, like self-criticism, anxiety, anticipation are a lot of things that come up because the reality is if you're going to be that competitive, whether it's in a sport or as an entrepreneur or a business professional or what have you, you're going to be hard on yourself. If you don't care, you're not going to be that successful, but there's mm. a fine line, right? There's, there's that tipping point where it becomes counterproductive. So that's a, you know, that's a theme I see in so many athletes is like that anticipation or, um, you know, that self-criticism, that comparison. And it, it tends to, again, if you're not careful, it can really impede your functioning as opposed to helping it. But where there's that determination, that tends to be how you get to that level as well. It's kind of a twofold. Yeah. You know, personally, like as an entrepreneur myself, you know, corporate girly, also, you know, launching a podcast, all these yeah. business ideas. I mm -hmm. feel that I'm so oh, impatient, so impatient and want everything to happen and working yeah. so hard. And, uh, you know, anxiety does come hand in hand with that. So yes. I'm sure also my listeners, a lot of them have had anxiety. They go on these yo-yo diets. They really want to do all the things and then that becomes mm -hmm. un unsustainable. So I think that's relatable even to people who aren't athletes in oh, many absolutely. ways. Absolutely. Yeah. There's the, I mean, it's constantly in our face, right? This comparison yeah. and this, like what this one's doing. And, you know, we're seeing everyone's highlight reel. Again, whether you're an athlete or a mm. business professional, or you're seeing someone launch this course or start this podcast or whatever it is, there's so much pressure because we're having so much more exposure to things and we're not taught how to navigate that. So that's why I love what I do, whether it's with businesses or with athletes. Yeah, for sure. No, you're exactly right. It's it's that highlight reel at the end of the day. They say, oh, this mm -hmm. person launched a podcast, but they didn't see all of the hours, all of the delays, oh, yeah. all of the banging your head against a brick wall. <laughs> Can you tell me more about that fine line? Like, how, how do you help people find that line? Because obviously, you do want that level of competitiveness and drive. Yes. You don't want it to override. Like, you don't want it to turn into something that's counterproductive, as you said. It's, it's a lot about mindfulness of self. 
It's Mm. a lot about taking inventory. And that's something I actually do in the beginning of my program. I administer an inventory. It's a questionnaire to help you just understand the intensity of the experience. And I'd say Mm. like, that's kind of the tipping point too, is, is understanding like if you're having something, listen, we all have emotions, right? We're all driven from our emotions. It's our notification system. It's how intense it is where it's actually telling you to do something that's counterproductive versus encouraging you to do something that's going to bring you to the next level. So let's say fear, for example, you know, that's kind of the base core emotion for anxiety, which we're, we're talking about, right? So if you ride that wave and say, okay, my fear is that I don't want to fail. I think a lot of us can relate to that, right? If that fear is driving you to prepare and do certain things to get ahead or be productive, well, that's the function of fear. It's trying to protect you, right? Now, if that fear is having you lean into avoidance or comparison or these negative narratives, there's there's your fine line. That's where it breaks. And you can be as talented or as intelligent as the day is long. If your mind's working against you, that fear response or some of those gut responses are working against you, it's it's a deal breaker. Yeah, that's super interesting. That fear yeah. driving you into avoidance or mm-hmm. into these habits. How do you help somebody? Like, let's just say, you know, someone started a fitness journey and, yeah. you know, that their fear of being seen at the gym. So they avoid the gym. Mm-hmm. How do you help somebody with that fear? Because it's real. Yeah. I mean, loaded answer. And <laughs> again, like b- building awareness of the thing I like about so therapy is very process oriented. Yes, there are skill bases. Um, and I love the performance aspect because it incorporates both where you're building your awareness of what is. So you know how to change it. So if someone Mm. is leaning into avoidance, there could be a million reasons why. So being able to have more insight, not saying you need to rehash everything, but having more insight as to why that's coming up is going to help you recreate some of those narratives or some of those limiting beliefs so that you can rewire your brain to not just kind of prove those wrong, but also create new beliefs that are going to Mm. reinforce this step and breaking down the steps, understanding why you're making this choice and making it feel like it is more of a choice than I have to do this. Because even if, even if you're choosing at the end of the day, we all have those moments of like, I have to go to the gym. I have to eat this certain way. I have to do this. Of seeing it as a more empowered perspective of understanding why you're doing it. So there's a lot of layers to it, but it is really like a self-exploration times skill set, times action steps, times you know finding a motivation. Wow. Amazing. I bet your clients just are so stoked with your work because there's so many nuggets there. You know, when it comes to like reframing something from I have to go to the gym to I choose to go to the gym or Mm -hmm. I choose not to go to the gym today. And then a lot of, a lot of different things that you can do in terms of just turning things into more of like, finding the evidence, finding the evidence that kind of like is against that limiting belief. Mm Mm-hmm. Can you tell me more about um, the difference? You, you mentioned that therapy is really process orientated. Mm-hmm. So, can you dive more into like the truth of mental health and, you know, when therapy comes in versus where something like what you would do for athletes or business people comes in? Sure, sure. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, the truth behind mental health, right? The, the, yeah. the reality is we all have mental health. And I think that's a common misconception. We all have mental health, just like we all have physical health. And the way I refer to that is just 
It's the status or the well-being of that area of functioning, your mental, your emotional, your psychological health, just like your physical health is the status or well-being of you know, your physiology, et cetera. So just being able to normalize that right there is such a shift for certain people mm. because I feel like we know a bit more and it's a bit more tangible, especially thinking about results, right? Physically, you can, you know, see that you're lifting heavier weights or that you, you know, you're accomplishing these different things. There's more measurable tactics that are more streamlined that people are more aware mm. of where I think mental health, it's very, conceptual and and people just aren't as familiar with what that looks like. So it feels uncomfortable to broach. So, Mm. you know, even just one calling out the truth is that we all have mental health and, you know, being able to even bring normalcy or, or understanding, I guess I should say to mental illness is that's where it's not working for you, right? That's where it's impeding your functioning, kind of like what we were talking about before. So Mm. in a therapeutic setting, uh, it is very much process oriented, especially with traditional therapy. Again, there's a lot of, b- because the field has become more prestigious, um, it's very evidence-based now. So yes, there is evidence behind why it's so important to process this information or be aware of what's going on for you. And now there's a lot of s- wonderful skill sets you can incorporate on how, like, what do I do about it? So not everyone is trained in those skill sets. So personally, I, um, you know, for anyone who's interested, I do cognitive behavioral therapy, which I feel like is something that's more well-known now and dialectical behavioral therapy. And what I love about the two is, again, it brings awareness, but it also challenges you with a certain skill set of how do I decrease my anxiety or how, how, how do I decrease um, the severity of depression or, or what else might be going on? It's not just, okay, now I know that this thing is there or I know what it looks like, or I know how it feels, or I know when it's happening, I actually know what to do about it. So right. that's that piece. And, you know, in terms of your question of like the difference, uh, I was noticing that, and this is kind of earlier in my practice, I was getting to a point with my clients where, okay, now I'm getting out of bed. Now I'm going to school. Now I'm graduating. Now I'm doing these things. And now it doesn't warrant medical necessity anymore. Like I'm okay. But for me, I'm like, this is the exciting part though. Like this is where we could go so far above and beyond. And it just kind of reminded me of this culture where like sometimes fine is just fine. Or like the, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I I call bullshit. Like that's not, that's not something Mm -hmm. that is going to let you live your best life in my opinion. So why not optimize something that you're constantly faced with? It's not something that just comes and goes. It's a part of you. It's, it's your kind of governing force, if you will. So why not understand how it works and create a cheat sheet, right? It's a lot easier to follow directions to understand how something works. Like, yeah, you can figure it out. So many of us do. Um, And it's going to be a heck of a lot easier and work for you a lot more if you understand it. For sure. No, I'm totally with you there because it's... It's not just about reactive health. It's about preventative health as well. Exactly. We think about fitness. We think about nutrition. That's preventative mm-hmm. health at the end of the day, yes. whereas the reactive health would be the medication. So mm-hmm. it's almost like you're saying to be able to get help from your you know, benefits or what have you. And of course, we're speaking within the American system here. Yeah. It, it has to be reactive. It can't be proactive. And hey, I just want to do therapy because I want to be the best version of myself. Right. No, that's such a good point. And I feel like a lot of mental health has been very reactionary to your point, instead of being proactive. 
and being able to understand that there are so many things we can do and not waiting till shit's hitting the fan to like try to make ourselves feel better. It's like you can build an incredible resilience uh, to be able to decrease the chances of it. Listen, life happens, right? It's, it's an mm. inevitable thing. So just feeling more equipped for when, not if those things happen or what it looks like. Or again, if you want to take on more in your life, yeah, I, I'm going to know how to do that while still maintaining and prioritizing what I need to actually be successful, not burn myself out. Yeah, exactly. And we're not taught, uh, just to your point, you know, when mm. you first first started speaking, we're not taught about psychology. So I did my yeah. schooling in Australia. We didn't even have psychology as a subject. You mentioned you had psychology and you wished it was mandatory. I'm sitting here thinking, I wish we bloody had, had psychology yeah, as a subject. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. All of that. I know that you do a lot of um, mind body connection work as well. So something I'm really like the reason I started holistic fitness is because I didn't, I lost 30 pounds and I lost 30 pounds once I got rid of an unaligned relationship and I started thinking more positively. Yes, of course. I like it calories in calories out. Of course I moved more and ate less, but moving more and eating less was so much easier. Whereas before when I was in the unaligned relationship, when I had anxiety, everyone, everything was so hard. Can you give Mm. more of like a, I guess, a mental health um, take on that mind body connection rather than just my personal experience? (laughs) Absolutely. Well, so, you know, I could speak to it both personally and professionally. I had horrible, horrible, horrible stomach issues. And no one could ever figure out what was wrong with me. And I, you know, I just chalked it up to like, I have a bad stomach. And <laughs> your gut, as you know, I'm sure your mm. gut health is so directly related to your mental health in terms of like the chemical process with, you know, fight or flight response. If you're in a fight or flight, you're not in rest and digest. It's going to absolutely impact your digestive system. Yeah. So I think a lot of times, you know, in the physical world, where you see this kind of lack of progress or you're struggling, or maybe you're, you're losing more weight when you want to be building muscle or, or vice versa, you're gaining weight when you're trying so hard and you're, you're really attending to your tradition and stuff. There really is it, it, your mind and body are completely connected. They're constantly communicating with one another. And if you don't attend to one, it's going to impact the other. So even just, I mean, everything from basic motivation of, if you are not attending to your mental health and you're trying to push yourself even harder to like, to get more active, to do all these things, it's going to be really hard to sustain that. You need to Mm. give yourself more compassion and understanding and, and motive. If you're going to be asking more of yourself physically, um, vice versa. A lot of people ask so much of themselves mentally, but they're sitting all day or they're not like taking time to attend to their nutrition or their hydration or having movement. And listen, uh, body at rest stays at rest. I I say the same thing about your mind. Um, So, you know, one absolutely impacts the other. If you're not meeting yourself where you're at, there's going to be a natural disconnect. Uh, So that's everything from that level in terms of your mentality. And and again, there's, there's even like the physiological process of just what's happening with exercise, the endorphins and everything that's released, the benefit, the strip, like when you stretch the, you know, different aspects of that. And I understand that from uh, you know, being a former athlete too, of just how different that feels when you are active versus when you're not. So. Wow. There's so many nuggets of wisdom in that as well. Something that stood out to me earlier that you said is that, you know, a lot of people look to exercise because it's more quantitative, you know, you calories in calories out, you can track it. 
There's mm-hmm. a lot of data behind it. Whereas with mm-hmm. the mental health sort of stuff, like the brain is hard to track because all of our brains are, de- you know, mm-hmm. our subconscious is developed differently. Like we've all had different traumas, so to speak. And I, sure. I feel like it's much harder to track. But you mentioned when people have anxiety that it that they're in their fight or flight, not in their rest mm-hmm. and digest, but they're mm-hmm. constantly trying to push themselves and they can't live mm-hmm. on that willpower. So how do people make that switch if you know, they're trying to go after the quantitative stuff, but the qualitative like compassion is what they need right now. So it's, it's a wonderful concept from dialectical behavioral therapy. And I hope I'm I'm answering your question, but it's something called wise mind where we have to acknowledge that being in that best version of yourself really requires both, right? You're in in a logical side and an emotional side, because that's how we function. And some of us tend to, if you think of it on like a spectrum, right? Some of us tend to lean more towards one side or another. That's where we tend to get stuck. If you're so goal oriented and so logically based, it tends to be very invalidating towards yourself and or others if it's a more interpersonal um, scene, if you will. Uh, But what it looks like for yourself, if it's like, I need to do this, I have to do this, I have to meet this number, I have to meet this goal. I mean, that like screams burnout to me, right? It's like, at some point, why am I doing it? Now, if you're fully led by emotion, that's something that you can burn out of too pretty quickly. And that's where you incorporate things like smart goals where you have the emotional drive, you know, why you're doing it, but it can feel like you're kind of a chicken with your head cut off running around sometimes. Like, I know I want this thing, but how do I get there? So that's where you kind of want to incorporate both, um, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Wow. Yeah, that makes total sense. You've mentioned that compassion, you've mentioned gratitude, you've mentioned a bit of reframing as well. Mm. Can you tell me why training your mind is so important and anything else that we can do to train our minds? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think, you know, we spend a lot of money on our education. We spend a lot of time, you know, or, or and money too on our, our physical health. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm speaking to the right now, like the highly competitive audience that, you know, again, business professionals, entrepreneurs, uh, high performing athletes, if you are putting in that type of time, energy and dedication, why wouldn't you do it towards an area that's going to basically dictate all of that functioning? Mm. Right. So if you are training yourself mentally, you're building not only a resilience, but you're actually going to give space for all of that to come together. For example, you know, if you are working tirelessly on this course or this program or this launch or this presentation, and you have all that information and you panic, your brain isn't going to process that information. It's not going to be able to relay the information. It's for nothing. Right. So training your yourself mentally, uh, whether it's a physical or mental performance, it's going to only enhance what that looks like. Uh, this is everything from retention of information to execution of information, too. Or again, retention, like even physically, right? If you put a lot of stress on your body or or your stress like that impacts your digestion and impacts your recovery, it impacts everything. Or when it's time to actually perform, if if you are someone who's competing in any sort of way, that's going to make a huge difference. So having, again, learning, having your mind work for you is only going to enhance all the effort and energy you've put into that other thing. Mm. Wow. 
and you explain that so eloquently. It's obviously you do the work because you execute, <laughs> on, you execute and present on the I mental I try to practice what I preach. <laughs> yeah, you got to. It's so interesting. I know as a physical trainer, people do mm-hmm. get the most results if they have a one-on-one physical trainer. It's the reality. Sure. But not everyone has the financial resource or, you know, maybe they'll only be able to do one session a week. So mm-hmm. for people who, you know, perhaps can only do, you know, one session a month with mental training or perhaps they're going to need to self-serve in the beginning. Um, maybe they're a brand new entrepreneur, they're building themselves up mm-hmm. or, you know, they, they just don't have the means right now. What would you say to them? Yeah, I think that's a fantastic question. I'm glad you asked it because I think a lot of people either don't know where to start or like you said, if you're in the beginning of your career, you may not have the means yet. So one, be honest with yourself about what you need. If if your anxiety or your depression or whatever symptoms that you're having are so intense that it's it's really hindering you, that's where you want to lean into therapy. And there are some incredible resources um, I, I don't know if this is outside of the States, but at least in the States, if you are trying to go through your insurance, there are platforms, um, psychologytoday.com, where you can actually input your all of your information in terms of like what insurance you have, what you're looking for in a therapist, and it'll give you a whole display that you can coordinate with. Uh, another platform is called Alma, same thing, where it has certain insurances that it accepts. And if you don't, like they also have a have a means of connecting you with therapists that, you know, if you don't have insurance or that if they don't accept insurance, it I really would say it's about the relationship to like get you mm-hmm. comfortable, especially if this is brand new for you. You wouldn't open up to someone that you don't have that you don't feel comfortable with. So, you know, they do call it therapist shopping for a reason. Obviously want to make sure they're equipped um, with their knowledge base and and their modalities. Uh, But I think that's a good place to start if you're finding that like, hey, it'd be nice to talk to someone. There's there's better help. There's there's a whole bunch of other platforms that are both virtual and in person. They could find someone in your area or or further away. But for therapy, you actually do need to see someone in the state that you're in because if you're licensed, you can only practice in the state you're licensed in. So side Mm -hmm. note, Um, as far as if you're functioning and you're wanting more of what we're talking about with, with the mental performance is like, I'm okay, but I want to do better. Or like I'm functioning and I want someone who's really going to support me getting to that next level, or I have some anxiety and I just want to understand, you know, how to like use my mind for me rather than getting in my own head or procrastination or comparison, like all these things are coming up that are hindering my business or my performance. Uh, you know, if you can't afford that quite yet, one, there's different packages. Two, you can always advocate for yourself. And three, there are so many different podcasts and and resources, books that you could really start there just to like get some buy-in. Uh, you know, don't rush into something, do your homework. Most of the people in this field too offer free consultations where you could follow them or get to know their social media. Or like I said, you, you know, pick up a book that's about self-help. There's so many out there, so many wonderful ones that just kind of like are a great introduction to rewiring your brain or just understanding what some of these things really look like. So I would say start and, you know, books are usually pretty manageable podcasts. Most of them are free. So if you need to just start somewhere, I would say just start there, see what really resonates with you. And then that'll help inform you in terms of what you want to prioritize in terms of your investment. Uh, If you are a business professional, it tends to be a write-off too. If you're getting some kind of um, coaching or consultation, I would just say, make sure the person is 
uh, well-informed because coaching is mm-hmm. a little less regulated than, than being a therapist. So uh, there are some incredibly talented uh, and life-changing coaches out there. And, you know, like with anything else, like not, not all are created equal. So I would just say, make sure that, you know, you do your homework and, and ask the questions to make sure that you're getting the most out of your investment because it truly is an investment in yourself. Hey, Holistic Fitness fam, a quick message from one of our sponsors, Ned. As you all know, I recommend good nutrition, movement, and stress management practices before supplementing so you know what type of supplementation that your body actually needs. For me, I supplement with very few products, but Ned is one of them. I'm a type A, high-energy, ambitious business girly with massive goals, and sometimes I honestly just need to chill out and relax a bit. I've found that both Ned's de-stress and sleep blends fit in with my busy lifestyle and ambitious goals, but I was honestly not a big fan of CBD products before trying Ned, mostly because of the culture surrounding weed. I just didn't want something that was going to alter my state of mind so that I became much less of a goal-getter or less ambitious. That was until I learned about full-spectrum hemp and their benefits. Ned blends a chock full of premium CBD and a full-spectrum hemp of active cannabinoids. Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil nourishes the body's endocannabinoid system to offer functional support for stress, sleep, inflammation, and balance. These products are science-backed, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. All of Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA-certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Colorado. I'm obviously a big fan, but don't take just my word for it. Ned CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners in the medical field like Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole. Ned is providing Holistic Fitness podcast listeners a very special discount. If you'd like to give Ned a try, listeners get 15% off Ned products with the code Lori Lee, L-O-R-I-L-E-E. Thanks, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering a natural remedy to bring balance to so many people's well-being. If somebody was wanting to get a coach, what sort of homework should they do? There's different types of coaching. I mean, we're talking more in the mental health world. Yeah, more in the mental performance I was say, kind of world. Yeah, you know, there's uh, there's there's business coaching, there's financial con- consultants, there's there's so many different types. I think a lot of what we see in the coaching world is the financial support. Um, in terms of mental health, again, just be careful, like it, it, making sure that it's not therapy that you're needing. If again, you're wanting to optimize it. You want someone who's very well equipped and has an evidence-based strategy. So um, people tend to have like a system or their signature method. So look for some kind of signature method. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, connect with people. Social media has made it honestly so easy of like just like learning a little bit more about them. If what they're saying resonates, if it makes sense to you. Uh, we all have different learning styles. We all have different uh, things that click for us. So I would say start there in terms of your homework, like getting to know the person and what kind of information they offer. And yeah, I I hope that's helpful. Yeah, no, definitely. Because I know personally, I've only, I've had mostly therapy more so than Mm -hmm. coaching. And Mm -hmm. I love cognitive behavioral therapy, but I think also therapy for me is like, 
I know this person is well educated. I know this person has a framework. I know that sure. they, you know, know what they're talking about. Yeah. So it was really cool that you could answer the question on coaching as well. It's certainly something that I'm curious about and I'm sure yeah. those are. You did mention social media though. And I find when it comes to mental health that social media can be quite overwhelming. So my (laughs) personal take on it is like, I was convinced that I had ADHD from TikToks. Like Mm. I was on the ADHD TikTok algorithm and I'm I'm just like, hold up, Lori. Like ADHD is like an actual thing that needs a diagnosis. I'm curious about your thoughts on, um, on the content and the access to information we have regarding mental health in all regards. Oh God, this could be like a whole podcast in itself. (laughs) Um, God, where do I start with this? Okay. So in terms of, I think what we need to first understand and normalize that the, the readiness in which we have access to all this information is abnormal. It's not Mm -hmm. what we were meant to process. It's not what we were constructed for. And I think that you know, I, I didn't grow up with social media. I, I grew up with a little dial-up internet thing, as, as I'm yeah. assuming you did. It's, it's just hilarious <laughs> to see the transition. So like even seeing, you know, coming out of college, you know, Instagram and, you know, later on Snapchat and all these other things. Now, now the um, TikTok, right? It's just like <laughs> there's so much information. And it's not just information, it's conflicting information. Mm-hmm. And you're not seeing the full picture. Like we said, we're, you're getting a highlight reel. And I just think it really reinforces this, this instant gratification, this comparison, this insecurity. And it's very unfair. Now, now to that point, it can also be a beautiful thing. If you mm-hmm. think of social media, of like the social connection, it was, in, I think, I hope intended to be, it's just like, you can use that for you as well. And that's where it's on the user. And unfortunately, you're getting exposed so young you don't have that skill set yet. And, mm-hmm. and that's something I would, you know, it would be great if they had more programs to help educate the kids and, and un- help them understand of like how they're choosing what they're following or like how that impacts them. Your social media, your screen is also your environment. We talk about how important our environment is for our mental health and, and having boundaries and stuff. We don't necessarily talk about or include your phone or your TV or your computer mm-hmm. in that. And it, the reality is that's, that's a lot of our environment. So I think just, you know, it can very much serve you if you're more intentional about how you use it. And there's a lot of ways to set boundaries around how long you're using it, um, what you're using it for. I, I talk about doing social media cleanses all the time with, with my clients, both performance and with, uh, therapy, because it, it really does impact you on a number of levels. Yeah. Mm. I do love what you said there around that social media cleanse and around it being your environment. So in my Become Your Own Personal Trainer course, like I actually talk about this and talk Mm. about cleaning up, you know, people that are kind of projecting their beliefs onto you. Yes. And that includes social media. And like, it's really easy that if you're stuck in an algorithm that you don't want to be in to tap and say, not interested but yeah. a lot of people are engaging with co- content that triggers them. And I think it's good to be triggered sometimes and to expand, you know, expand your mind. But also there's a point where like getting triggered is too much. Like it's too much of a trigger. <laughs> well, that's a good point, Lori. And there's, uh, am I going to forget the name of the documentary? Um, there's a documentary that came out that was really like mind blowing. And it, it talks about how, you know, a lot of the algorithm algorithms and stuff that's presented to you is based off of just how much time you're viewing something. You don't even have mm. to like it. 
And unfortunately, drama catches the brain's attention, right? We're, we're survival based animals. So like that, like little spout of fear or adrenaline, like we look, it's hard, you know, horrible thing to say, but it's like not looking at the car crash, right? The Mm -hmm. kind of rubbernecking theme. So I think on social media, what happens is, you know, it's, it's the, the real that it's like, you know, oh, you know, so-and-so is cheating if, and it's like, a lot of the kids watch it because it, yeah. but then it keeps producing that type of material and it gets so in your head. It's so counterproductive. Now, again, if you're someone who's wanting to be healthier, you might not be exposing yourself to the most effective ways to incorporate that. But if it sees that you're watching that stuff, it's going to present you with more adversive kind of like taboo stuff because that they know it's gonna, you're going to watch it. Yeah. Uh, so you may end up creating that environment for yourself without realizing it, which again, it, that's like kind of the dark, the dark side of the, of social media and the web and whatnot. But, you know, again, you can very much make that work for you. I remember when I was in grad school and, and I kind of mentioned this earlier too, just after everyone was asking me like, how are you doing this in terms of being a therapist? I was doing in-home family therapy. I was constantly going from one house to another, doing really intensive therapy interventions. and. I started blogging. I, I created this public social media account called Sincerely Your Therapist. Unfortunately, it was part of that, like there was a hack mode or or like just streak that I was seeing. All my friends, all like different companies stuff were just getting hacked on, on Instagram. Oh, nice. And mine got completely, it wasn't even that long ago, but it was uh, a great platform to start with. And I noticed that I wasn't even going on my personal one anymore. I was Mm -hmm. like so much on the public one because I was following like-minded accounts, people that were very positive or health oriented. And and it was just like, it was just so such a different experience. It was almost like walking into just a completely different room or a completely different place. And that's where it really was like, oh, wow, no, this makes a difference of how you use it, who you connect with, how you spend your time, what you're looking at. It can be a fabulous experience that totally picks you up or it can be like, why am I not doing this? Why haven't I accomplished this? Why, you know, so it, it can really serve different purposes. And I'd say like, take the wheel on it. For sure. Yeah, no, you're right. It is really user orientated. I mean, I would hope that social media companies at some point do do take responsibility because mm. ultimately, you know, it's like dopamine, 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 you know, right. there's, yes. there's an addiction to social media. For sure. With a lot of addictions, we we have laws around them, but there isn't mm. really laws around, I guess, social media. But until there is some sort of laws with regards to the AI and the machine learning, yeah. it is user orientated. We've got to choose our circle of influence. And mm-hmm. it, and honestly, like even just being on this podcast, every single guest that I have on is smarter than me in some sort of realm, like some sort of expertise. So I feel so lucky to be able to that's have awesome. such a great circle of influence. But that's a user action. And and similar to you, it, right. um, I, I hit not interested if I'm falling into a doom scrolling place that I don't mm-hmm. want to be or I just stop and, and yeah. create more than I consume. And But it takes time to get to, the, oh, get to that place. Oh, absolutely. That's not easy. Yeah. Mm. And education too. A lot of people don't consider sure. that. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Can you tell me more what, about what it's like to redefine success and create a new baseline? For Because I'm sure that you're constantly reevaluating goals. I find yeah. as a personal trainer, like it's when people's expectations are up here, but they, they can only do so much. What, is, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I think in terms of 
you know, redefining success. I love this topic because I think we get caught up so much. I know we talked a lot about comparison, but a lot about the shoulds, uh, mm. these kind of assumptions of like what we should be doing, when we should be doing it, the, the status of, the quality of, the, you know, all these things. And I think that's why we see so many people changing professions or not like moving forward and what their education is reflective of. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I think just being able to kind of redefine unapologetically without judgment, what do I actually want? What, what's my value system? What's actually important to me? Not what's been shoved down my throat or what, what's been mm-hmm. like kind of told to me that is so important. And I think that there's a huge shift in that when you really get clear about what that looks like if you are someone that is very intuitive and loves your family time, you might be assuming success looks like hitting six, seven figures constantly, but that might not be the case for you, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not to say what's right or wrong. Uh, you may want to find a way to obviously be comfortable, but you know that, that might not be the priority is putting more hours or more work or, or this program or this next thing. It might be having like your balance. Balance is not 50-50. Balance Mm. is tailored to you and your needs, right? So like just being able to define that. I also think another part of, you know, creating a new baseline is understanding what's truly important and and the order of our functioning as humans. So at the end of the day, we all are. And whether you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs or, or what have you, that baseline, there's a reason at the bottom. It is our basic needs. And then on top of that is safety and security. And then you go into love and belonging and all these other things, but your brain is wired in that way. Mm -hmm. So again, I think so many of us get caught up in like wanting to do more, wanting to achieve more. We pile more on our plate and then we wonder why it's not sustainable or we can't hack it. And we just say like, oh, it's too much. I'm not capable. That's not usually the case. It's just the more that we ask of ourselves, we spread ourselves so thin, we forget to give back the same, if not more. Right. So like being able to kind of reconstruct what your baseline looks like, what are you actually giving yourself permission to prioritize? It tends to be a little ass backwards and just being able to kind of redefine that again, as humans, if you're not nourishing yourself in a way that's conducive to the type of functioning, uh, again, whether you're an athlete and you're losing this amount of calories or what have you energetically, and you're not replenishing it or Again, if, if you're sitting in front of a screen all day trying to do these high performance tasks and you're not feeding your brain like that, it is brain food and fuel. So just understanding it in that way. And I say a lot, a lot of the clients I work with, I go, you guys, you guys are sports cars. You're the Porsches. You're the, you're the this, this and this. Would you put regular gas in, in that car? No, you would not. You would not expect it to do much. So it's understanding that like from a foundational perspective, a lot of people say, I don't have time for self-care. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding on what self-care truly is. It's again, like the, the status of, or, or the quality of, in which you take care of yourself. If mm. you don't have time to take your medicine or exercise or eat, I got news for you. Nothing else is going to be of the quality that you would like. Cause you're building that off of that foundation, which goes back to the mental health and the physical health and, you know, giving space to that. So there, there's that aspect of it. And I think, you know, whether it's redefining success or your baseline, that all starts with wellness. It all starts with wellness. And 
you can accomplish much more and be more productive, be more focused and make a, a larger impact, not just on yourself, but on the people around you. And I always say that people think like, oh, self-care, like that sounds selfish or if I'm, I don't have time to do that for myself. I got kids. I get it. Like, I, I know it feels like you don't. <laughs> and you are a much better version of yourself personally and professionally when you do that. So you're actually doing everyone else a favor too. And I just think that's a common misconception. It doesn't need to be a day at the spa. Like, yeah, that's, that's nice. I'm not saying that doesn't (laughs) help, but like, that's not, that's not the basis of self-care. It's really this idea of like, until you actually take care of yourself, until your brain perceives that it's getting what it actually needs, it's going to be the toddler and target stomping around saying like, I can't do this until you give me this because that's how we're wired. We are survival-based creatures. And it's saying, if you're not going to give me this, well, we all joke about being hangry, but that's really what it is. It's saying like, hey, no, 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 I can't do this for you until you do this for me. Mm. But we don't listen to our bodies. We just want to go for that self-actualization before we're meeting our basic needs. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And that's where you see burnout or you see, you know, people who maybe are wildly successful just kind of lose that momentum and Mm. it, you know, it, it seriously benefits us in so many ways. So. Yeah, you're so right. Something you did mention that I do want to quickly touch on was um, value systems and people mm. doing, you know, what they think they're meant to do and following a certain yeah. path. How does how does someone figure out what lights them up or what their values are? You know what? That's that's such a good question. I can't tell you how many times that like that people don't know how to answer that for themselves. Yeah, uh, there's so much noise right? There's so much noise out there, especially now we can go back to our social media conversation or, or just like even family experiences. What let's kind of hammer it in is like what you should be doing or what's important, or maybe you have some kind of fear-based roots from being a child, like how you grew up. You don't know, like I, I need to do this to survive or I don't want this to happen to me. And it kind of takes the wheel instead of actually sitting with like, what do I enjoy? What gives me energy as opposed to depletes me? And I mm. think, again, I think sometimes we assume what those things are as opposed to actually being mindful and leaning into it or having the experience. Sometimes it's a little bit of trial and error. Sometimes you have to sit with something and just say like, you know, is this actually enjoyable to me? Or, you know, I thought I loved this thing and now I'm sitting with it and it's, it's fine, but it's, I'm not excited by it or vice versa. You, you might assume that like, this isn't worth my time and you start doing, you're like, but it makes me feel so fulfilled or so happy. So some of it's trial and error. Some of it's like building awareness or just creating a sense of honesty with yourself. Like I shouldn't be doing this or I should be doing this. When you drop those shoulds, you can actually tap into what that looks like. And that's a fabulous foundation to build off of. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. It actually reminds me of a conversation I had today with one of my team members at work. And he said... I'm learning how to cut out the noise and just focus Mm -hmm. on executing on the process. And the process in this case is trial and error, you know, trial and error and then reflection. Does this Mm -hmm. drain me? Does this energize me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, it's really building that relationship with yourself so you can tell. And I know um, some of you might think this sounds silly, but like, what does happiness look like for you? How do you know that you feel this way? Kind of going back to like creating a more measurable check-in point for yourself if you don't have that moment or you don't create that reinforcer for those things that are actually bringing you joy or, or motivating you or make you feel like you're accomplishing something, 
it's going to fall to the wayside. So yeah, turning down the noise, trying to dial down the pressure, at least temporarily until Mm -hmm. you can figure out, you know, what's going on. There's, again, there's just a lot of value to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I've really loved having you on the podcast. I've especially just really loved how you've even helped me reframe, you know, my whole thing and what I talk about, like breathe well, move well, eat well, which is basic Mm -hmm. needs. Basic needs and you just help me reframe things and like, (laughs) yeah, so you've taught me so much, Mia. Is there anything that we haven't spoken about that you really feel like should be shared today? Oh, I mean, I think we could talk forever, Lori. It's been a pleasure, (laughs) but I think as far as the major points, you know, a lot of why I really enjoy having these conversations is to, again, bring more attention and awareness to it. And I think, you know, we had a wonderful conversation about just understanding ourselves as humans and how we function and that all this stuff is normal and just giving yourself permission to not only attend to it, but to prioritize it is, is really important. And you'll see really incredible shifts in your life if you give yourself permission to do so. Mm, So well said, if you give yourself permission to do so. That's a big, (laughs) yeah. 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 We do have a closing question on the podcast and that is, what one sentence worth of advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Oh, goodness. What one sentence of advice would I give to my 20-year-old self? What was she doing? She was playing division one soccer. (laughs) She was running ragged. So she wasn't Uh, getting drunk then like my 20 year old self was. (laughs) I didn't have time to. Our games were Fridays and Sundays and we had a 72 hour roll. We, we were kept you out of trouble. But you know what? I think that's a huge part of why I was successful. Graduated. is like it was, it, I, I function better off of that too, honestly, the structure. Um, I would say perspective. I don't even know if it's a sentence, but just having perspective. I think sometimes we're in the midst of things. We, we lose that sense of understanding what is in our control and it feels so daunting and so overwhelming. So just to understand that there are different perspectives, that there is kind of a bigger picture mm-hmm. is what would have been really nice to know then. <laughs> yes, yes. I... I'm a world traveler and I think we judge others so quickly. Even mm. when I was a flight attendant, you know, some people would judge certain cultures really quickly or or judge certain things really quickly. And I find the more you travel, the more perspectives you gain, For the sure. more you realize people are just trying to do their best. Oh, yeah. Like with what they know. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm sure you run into that a lot. You kind of, not to backtrack, but... I think that people who are of high, again, high status or like quote unquote, very successful or that look a certain way, the assumption is they have it all together. And again, at the end of the day, we're all people and try to try to take that assumption away and, and for the pressure on yourself or on others and just build that understanding. Yeah, totally. No, you're so right. Mia, I'm sure so many people have fallen in love with you. Where can we find you? Uh, one of the most accessible places you could find me and I'd love to connect with you is actually on LinkedIn. Um, I am Mia Gardner, G-A-R-D-N-E-R dash Zamborano. I'm sure that'll all be listed in the, in the notes just so you have the spelling because it is a long last name. And uh, you could also find me on Instagram at L-E underscore V-I-E underscore psych. Wonderful, Mia. I'll be sure to add all of those details in the show notes. 
All right. Thank you so much, Lori. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast, Bia. Thank you so much for joining. And for everyone that's tuning in, eat well, move well, breathe well. And until next time, keep shining. <laughs>